The Bible, a collection of 66 different books by around 40 different authors from many different backgrounds. There were kings and shepherds, soldiers, fishermen, doctors, poets and farmers. Some were young, some old, some rich, and some poor. And they wrote, each reflecting his own personality and style. From a wide variety of life circumstances. All the way from palace thrones and bedrooms. To the dungeons down in the palace basement. From seashores to mountaintops. And to the backsides of dry desert wastelands. In their books, the writers issued hundreds of specific future prophecies, all perfectly fulfilled or awaiting fulfillment. And they discuss every aspect of human life, hundreds of complicated and controversial topics. And yet, there is a unity and consistency of message in the Bible, from start to finish, that is nothing short of miraculous. Throughout history and today, millions of people around the globe call this book the Holy Bible, the very Word of God. It claims to be a self-revelation of the Supreme Being, the Creator Himself, stepping out of eternity into time and space to tell us and show us what He is like and to let us know His plan for our lives here on earth and in the hereafter. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar is your chance to actually hear, discuss, and decide for yourself about this book, the Bible. Stay tuned, and at the very least, you'll hear the beauty, wisdom, romance, adventure, and intrigue of the world's greatest literature, the best-selling, most translated book of all history. But more importantly, God himself just might speak to your heart and change your life forever. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Sophie Dollar. And here we are. Yes, indeed. Thank you for joining with us tonight, folks, for The Bible Live. I'm really glad you're along with us. I hope that you, too, are going to be glad that you tuned in tonight and every night. Together, we join to listen to the book of books, the Bible itself, each and every weeknight. Tonight, we're going to continue our way through the books of First and Second Kings. We transitioned last night from the book of First Kings into Second Kings. Not a huge deal because originally they were one book. So that is the way to read these books, to just read them straight through. That's the way they were written. A record of these kings of the ten tribes of Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Right after the division, the kingdom of Israel went right off into idolatry, right off into worship of pagan gods, false gods worshiping the gods of the people groups around them with all of their immorality, with all of their cruelty, because there is an appeal to idolatry. There is an appeal to religiosity. There's power, a lot of power in religion, and there can be a lot of pleasure depending on how you shape it up. And now we have seen the most wicked of the kings of Israel, Ahab and his very wicked wife Jezebel. She is the daughter of a former priest of Baal from Phoenicia, Tyre and Sidon. He actually became the king of Sidon later on. Ahab and Jezebel have been having a powerful, destructive influence on the tribes of the north. And now, through their son Jehoram, they're going to have a tremendous destructive influence on the south as well. I'll tell you a little bit more about it as we approach the reading from Second Kings tonight. Right now, though, let's go back to Psalm 71. We read the first half of Psalm 71 last night. It's a psalm about God's constant help from childhood to old age. Our entire lives are a testimony of what God can do for us. I hope that's your testimony and your experience. Let's listen to the psalmist tonight on The Bible Life. Psalm 71, 17 through 24. 
O God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood, and I have constantly told others about the wonderful things you do. Now that I am old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the highest heavens. You have done such wonderful things. Who can compare with you, O God? You have allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. You will restore me to even greater honor and comfort me once again. Then I will praise you with music on the harp, because you are faithful to your promises, O God. I will sing for you with a lyre, O Holy One of Israel. I will shout for joy and sing your praises, for you have redeemed me. I will tell about your righteous deeds all day long, for everyone who tried to hurt me has been shamed and humiliated. End of reading Psalm 71, 17 through 24. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. And we are back. You are listening to The Bible Live program this evening. We are going to make our way through the books of First and Second Kings in these days. We've finished uh, now the book of First Kings. We'll be picking up tonight in Second Kings chapter 3. As I was mentioning before, Ahab and Jezebel have had their destructive influence over the ten tribes of the north. Jehoshaphat, who is in all other ways, has been a very good and godly king in Judah. He's done a lot of very good things, and he loves the Lord, but he has tried so hard. Now, see if this reminds you of anyone today. I mean, something that sometimes conservatives do or people who are right. We are so eager to make other people like us that we compromise doing the right thing. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat does. He is so eager to have Ahab and Jezebel like him. And he may be trying to bring the tribes back together to reunite Israel. But he compromises so very much, and he gives his own son in marriage to Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah. And that will be a tremendous mistake, because she will bring the paganism, the idol worship, false gods down into Judah, and it will have a tremendously destructive impact on the people of Judah as well in Jerusalem, uh, almost wiping out the royal lineage of King David. We're talking about Ahab's son Joram tonight, and we're going to be introduced to Elisha, who has now replaced Elijah as the main prophet of the Lord. We'll see one of the really interesting conversions. Naaman, the captain of the Syrian army, comes to God. 2 Kings 3.1-6.7 through 6, 7. 2 Kings 3 Ahab's son Joram began to rule over Israel in the 18th year of King Jehoshaphat's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 12 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but he was not as wicked as his father and mother. He at least tore down the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had set up. Nevertheless, he continued in the sins of idolatry that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had led the people of Israel to commit. King Mesha of Moab and his people were sheep breeders. They used to pay the king of Israel an annual tribute of 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But after Ahab's death, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Joram mustered the army of Israel and marched from Samaria. 
On the way, he sent this message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you help me fight him? And Jehoshaphat replied, Why, of course, you and I are brothers, and my troops are yours to command. Even my horses are at your service. Then Jehoshaphat asked, What route will we take? We will attack from the wilderness of Edom, Joram replied. The king of Edom and his troops joined them, and all three armies traveled along a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days. But there was no water for the men or their pack animals. What should we do? The king of Israel cried out. The Lord has brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. But King Jehoshaphat of Judah asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do. One of King Joram's officers replied, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Jehoshaphat said, Then the Lord will speak through him. So the kings of Israel, Judah, and Edom went to consult with Elisha. I want no part of you, Elisha said to the king of Israel. Go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. But King Joram said, No, for it was the Lord who called us three kings here to be destroyed by the king of Moab. Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I would not bother with you except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Now bring me someone who can play the harp. While the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, This is what the Lord says. This dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You will see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord, but this valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourselves and for your cattle and your other animals. But this is only a simple thing to the Lord, for he will make you victorious over the army of Moab. You will conquer the best of their cities, even the fortified ones. You will cut down all their trees, stop up all their springs, and ruin all their good land with stones. And sure enough, the next day at about the time when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom, and soon there was water everywhere. Meanwhile, when the people of Moab heard about the three armies marching against them, they mobilized every man who could fight, young and old, and stationed themselves along the border. But when they got up the next morning, the sun was shining across the water, making it look as red as blood. It's blood, the Moabites exclaimed. The three armies have attacked and killed each other. Let's go and collect the plunder. When they arrived at the Israelite camp, the army of Israel rushed out and attacked the Moabites, who turned and ran. The army of Israel chased them into the land of Moab, destroying everything as they went. They destroyed the cities, covered their good land with stones, stopped up the springs, and cut down the good trees. Finally, only Ker Haraseth was left, but even that came under attack. When the king of Moab saw that he was losing the battle, he led 700 of his warriors in a desperate attempt to break through the enemy lines near the king of Edom, but they failed to escape. So he took his oldest son, who would have been the next king, and sacrificed him as a burnt offering on the wall. As a result, the anger against Israel was great, so they withdrew and returned to their own land. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Kings 4 one day the widow of one of Elisha's fellow prophets came to Elisha and cried out to him, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, 
setting the jars aside as they are filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons brought many jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her, and then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and there will be enough money left over to support you and your sons. One day Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she invited him to eat some food. From then on, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there to eat. She said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's make a little room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One day Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to his room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, Tell the woman I want to speak with her. When she arrived, Elisha said to Gehazi, Tell her that we appreciate the kind concern she has shown us. Now ask her what we can do for her. Does she want me to put in a good word for her to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what do you think we can do for her? He suggested, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year at about this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my lord, she protested. Please don't lie to me like that, O man of God. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant, and at that time the following year she had a son, just as Elisha had said. One day, when the child was older, he went out to visit his father, who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly he complained, My head hurts! My head hurts! His father said to one of the servants, Carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime he died. She carried him up to the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband, Send one of the servants and a donkey, so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why today, he asked. It is neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. But she said, It's all right. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, Hurry, don't slow down on my account unless I tell you to. As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, Look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, Is everything all right with you, with your husband, and with your child? Yes, the woman told Gehazi, everything is fine. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. Something is troubling her deeply, and the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, It is you, my Lord, who said I would have a son. And didn't I tell you not to raise my hopes? Then Elisha said to Gehazi, Get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elisha returned with her. Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elisha and told him the child is still dead. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. And the child's body began to grow warm again. 
Elisha got up and walked back and forth in the room a few times. Then he stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi. Call the child's mother, he said, and when she came in, Elisha said, Here, take your son. She fell at his feet, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she picked up her son and carried him downstairs. Elisha now returned to Gilgal, but there was a famine in the land. One day, as the group of prophets was seated before him, he said to his servant, Put on a large kettle and make some stew for these men. One of the young men went out into the field to gather vegetables and came back with a pocket full of wild gourds. He shredded them and put them into the kettle without realizing they were poisonous. But after the men had eaten a bite or two, they cried out, Man of God, there's poison in this stew. So they would not eat it. Elisha said, Bring me some flour. Then he threw it into the kettle and said, Now it's all right. Go ahead and eat. And then it did not harm them. One day a man from Baal Shalishah brought the man of God a sack of fresh grain and twenty loaves of barley bread made from the first grain of his harvest. Elisha said, Give it to the group of prophets so they can eat. What? his servant exclaimed. Feed one hundred people with only this? But Elisha replied, Give it to the group of prophets so they can eat it. For the Lord says there will be plenty for all. There will even be some left over. And sure enough, there was plenty for all and some left over, just as the Lord had promised. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Kings 5 The king of Aram had high admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Now groups of Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to carry to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out, taking as gifts, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read it, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, This man sends me a leper to heal? Am I God that I can kill and give life? He is only trying to find an excuse to invade us again. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard about the king's reaction, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to meet him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would surely come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the Abana River and the Farpa River of Damascus better than all the rivers of Israel put together? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply to go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his flesh became as healthy as a young child's, and he was healed. 
Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the men of God. They stood before him, and Naaman said, I know at last that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Now please accept my gifts. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gifts, Elisha refused. Then Naaman said, All right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place, and I will take it back home with me. From now on I will never again offer any burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other god except the Lord. However, may the Lord pardon me in this one thing. When my master the king goes into the temple of the god Ramon to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me when I bow too. Go in peace, Elisha said. So Naaman started home again. But Gehazi, Elisha's servant, said to himself, My master should not have let this Aramean get away without accepting his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and get something from him. So Gehazi set off after him. When Naaman saw him running after him, he climbed down from his chariot and went to meet him. Is everything all right? Naaman asked. Yes, Gehazi said, but my master has sent me to tell you that two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim have just arrived. He would like seventy-five pounds of silver and two sets of clothing to give to them. By all means, take a hundred fifty pounds of silver, Naaman insisted. He gave him two sets of clothing, tied up the money in two bags, and sent two of his servants to carry the gifts for Gehazi. But when they arrived at the hill, Gehazi took the gifts from the servants and sent the men back. Then he hid the gifts inside the house. When he went in to his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? I haven't been anywhere, he replied. But Elisha asked him, Don't you realize that I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to receive money and clothing and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and servants? Because you have done this, you and your children and your children's children will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. When Gehazi left the room, he was leprous. His skin was as white as snow. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Kings 6 One day the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, As you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. All right, he told them, go ahead. Please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. When they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. But as one of them was chopping, his axe head fell into the river. Ah, oh, my Lord, he cried, it was a borrowed axe. Where did it fall, the man of God asked. When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it into the water. Then the axe head rose to the surface and floated. Grab it, Elisha said, and the man reached out and grabbed it. End of reading, Second Kings 3, 1 through 6, 7. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Hallelujah. Very interesting passage tonight. Very interesting moments. Very interesting encounters. Elisha is an amazing spokesman for God as God places his seal of approval on Elisha. Remember, Elijah was fed by ravens. The widow's food was multiplied. A widow's son was raised. 
under Elijah, altar and the sacrifice were consumed at Mount Carmel. Soldiers were consumed, uh, the Jordan River parted, and he was transported into heaven on chariots of fire. Well, now we see Elisha, his successor. The Jordan River is parted for him. The spring is purified at Jericho. Water is provided for the armies of the kings of Israel and Judah. The widow's oil is multiplied. A dead boy is raised to life. A poison in the stew is purified. Naaman healed of leprosy. Jehazi, his servant, becoming leprous and an axe head floating. God put his seal of approval on these two men, these two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Then God delivered the armies of Moab into their hands and allowed them a great victory. This is not a godly king, but God delivers a victory to them. Then we see Elisha helping this poor widow. Remember, when people got into debt in those days, their children could be taken as slaves as a way of paying for their debt. This woman was in danger of losing her two sons, which was not just an emotional matter. She would have lost her only means of support. God gives them oil, keeps the oil jar filled. Don't you wish they had more oil jars? They would have kept filling them up and filling them up, but they couldn't find any more jars. That was the only limitation. There's a lesson for us there as well. What God will do in us and with us and through us is only limited by how much we will empty ourselves and present ourselves for his filling. And then there's this woman from Shunem, kind to the prophet of God, and God blesses them because of that. And I think there is a lesson there about being kind to those who serve the Lord, your pastor, missionaries that come to your church. Now I've been emailing a young lady, part of a youth group that I ministered to. Now she and her husband, Robert, are serving the Lord in Thailand, in Bangkok, and her parents are going through some uh, health problems now. It makes me realize how kind they've been to me through the years. It's good that we support missionaries and our pastors and our youth pastors and, and honor them and help them. You see a little bit of Jehazi's selfishness. Since this woman wasn't someone that they could get something out of, he wasn't so kind to her, and yet he goes overboard in trying to influence this commander of the army, this general, Naaman. That is a remarkable story. This man is genuinely converted to the true and living God. And yet he says, in my official duties, I still have to go into the king, into the pagan temple. He went out of his way to explain that to Elisha. And he said, don't worry about it. Go in peace. Very interesting story about Jehazi. His greed. When people get into religion and into faith and whatever work it might be, even Christian radio, and your eye is on the money... Suzanne and I know when you mix ministry and money, it's always very, very dangerous. You can't help but mix them because the way life is, everything requires resources. It requires money. But you better be very, very careful in your treatment of money and not let it capture your heart. That's for sure. Well, tomorrow night we'll continue on with the stories of Elisha, uh, his continuing ministry, and uh, what God does with the people of Israel. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com.
Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 